the highest court in the land says that speech is the equivalent of money and money is the equivalent of speech, you're going to have these kind of distorted and outside uh, really existential threats on democracy. And until that changes, you know, we're, we're not, not in a good place in that regard. Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. That was John Fetterman, my guest today. Before we get into his intro and bio, need to mention that the Going Deep Summit is just a few days away. It is the event underwriting this podcast that you've been enjoying. And one of the speakers at the event who's absolutely going to kill it is Dan Bull from 068. Here is what he's going to be talking about. Okay, we're going to talk about some deep things. Restoring your life after tremendous failure, maybe even incarceration. I think that'll translate to anyone, no matter your situation. But uh, you're going to get to hear real-life stories of success after the failure, specifically from our angle, ex-offenders. Ex-offenders, as they re-enter society, start businesses, become some of the best employees that Pittsburgh's companies have ever seen, share with you some data, real stats, and ways you can translate our experiences into your success. So we're really honored to be a part of it, and we'll see you there. Needless to say, I am phenomenally excited. Thank you to everyone who's already bought their tickets. And if anyone out there has not yet, you got a couple days left, go pull the trigger, make the call. It is going to be one hell of a day at the Kelly Strayhorn Theater. But on to today's interview, John Fetterman is one of the Democratic Party's candidates in Pennsylvania for the lieutenant governor, and quite frankly, one of the most famous politicians in the state of Pennsylvania, well known as the mayor of Braddock. He is a large, towering 6'8", actually just posted a photo on Instagram uh, showing a side-by-side. I'm six foot and he towers over me, Uh, but he is more than just a big body. He is a really strong mind, and wow. There are things to disagree with on both sides of the aisle when it comes to political parties. A lot of the stuff that John is talking about and has been talking about makes a lot of sense. Things like the opioid crisis, campaign finance reform, and ending cycles of violence are things that I really think we can all get behind. So I'm very excited to be sharing with you my interview with John Fetterman. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Well, John, thank you very much for making time for me and coming on the podcast here. Yeah, it's great to be here. There is a lot of impressive things that you've done through your career in public service, Mm -hmm. but perhaps, at, at least from my estimation, the most significant has been breaking a cycle of violence in the town of Braddock and setting a rate of over five years without a homicide in the yeah. community. Well, l- l- I mean, l- let me just interrupt you. Thank you for, for the kind words. And, and, uh, it, it, it's, it's not a, it's not impressive. It's, it's just something that I'm grateful that happened, if that makes any sense. And it's something that I was able to, we were able to achieve with a lot of great partnerships, uh, our great police chief, outside resources, and I don't want to give any impression that it was somehow just exclusively just me out there. And it's important for me to give credit. And again, it's not something that I claim so much as it's just something that I'm very grateful that it happened. And to go five and a half years, I was able to avoid the worst part of my job. And that is seeing 
how you know what happens you know during these kind of in, you know, violent episodes the the end result and and not seeing that for that period of time was was its own reward a, a big part of finding meaning in anyone's work is dealing with or facing down really large challenges and before the community of Braddock was able to accomplish breaking the cycle of violence how intimidating or big of a task did that feel like at that point in time well, I mean, it's it's uh, it's not that it's intimidating, but it's it's more of um, the, that that specter never leaves. And 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 today, it, it's it, it's been with me every night before I go to bed now for the last. Well, I've been mayor now for for over twelve years, and and there hasn't been an, an, a night that I've gone to bed in twelve years where I haven't, you know, just kind of made this acknowledgement that I sure hope my phone doesn't ring. You know, because when your phone rings at two o'clock in the morning, it's not to say you got approved for a new community uh, block grant or it's never good news. So it's it's always for um, really awful reasons. And and uh, and that anxiety never leaves. And that that kind of uh, uh, I don't know what I, other call that anxiety is. is it's it just uh, it's the worst part of the job. And it's something that, uh, again, is, is always with you. Um, so as you alluded to, you've been uh, mayor here in Braddock for 12 years and recently declared that you're campaigning to be lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk a little bit about what uh, attracted you to campaigning for that position and what you hope to accomplish there. Well, I I chose to run for the office because I um, wanted a statewide platform to to take the things and the issues and the the, uh, ideas that I care about and and take it to a larger larger audience. And uh, that allows me to, to do just that as in a statewide office. And um, it's the same reason why I ran for mayor. I was a, a successful program director here in Braddock. Helped a lot of young people get their GEDs, get their lives on track and, and so forth. But I couldn't do anything about gun violence. I couldn't do anything about the overall condition of the community. So I ran for a bigger platform, and that was mayor. Twelve years later, I have the opportunity. It's like I can do another term as mayor, which again is a, is a fine outcome. It's the best job I've ever had. Or I can take the chance and, and run for a larger platform to take these kind of issues to a larger level. And ultimately, that's what I chose to do. And I also believe in being honest and forthright with with people and, and say that I, I also have an eye on 2022 when Pat Toomey's up for re-election again. And um, I think that it's also uh, positions well for that as well. Absolutely. Uh, in terms of your last run, you ran for, for PA senator mm-hmm. and earned over 20% of the vote in, yeah. a, in a four-way race. Three-way. Three, three uh, the, there was only there were three main candidates. There was another person on the ballot, but Joe Vardvarka wasn't part of uh, any meaningful part of the race. So. One of the issues that was a part of your platform that wasn't necessarily um, a topic du jour people were comfortable talking about was the opioid crisis and and people dealing with heroin. Very much so. In fact, I got a lot of pushback for that. I'll never forget the meeting that I had down at the DSCC where they, you know, evaluate you and your campaign and your candidacy. And one of the things that I kept talking about was the opioid crisis. And they were just like, wait a second, what are you talking about? Like, you want to legalize heroin? And why are you talking, you know, why do you care about these things? And like, well, because as as a small town mayor, I've seen this firsthand, and I, I know what a critical issue it is, and it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. And now, two years later, you have the governor of our state declaring an absolute emergency on it, and we 
aren't even worried about heroin anymore is that we're worried about you know the fentanyl and the car fentanyl and things like that where you know where do you go as a society when people are already abusing elephant tranquilizer you know what's what's next on that spectrum and that's what's really scary and and I'm of the opinion that we won't see that trend crest or the 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 full magnitude for at least another four or five years and uh as a result, I think it's important that we as a society get in front of it. I think it's important that we as a society have all the options on the table, including um, needle exchange, which is only technically legal in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and even safe injection sites that are being considered, like, say, in Philadelphia, where, like, you know, you have tens of thousands of people dying across this country. And when you have these kind of things uh, and, and this kind of crisis, you have to have everything on the table that has a chance of, of making it better, in, in my opinion. In terms of the conversations that you're having, you, you spoke a little bit to what it was like in the previous campaign. How have you found those conversations more recently? Are people more receptive yeah, to it or has ab- it still absolutely. been difficult? I, 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 at the apologizing, it sounds like a humble brag, but um, all of my positions have aged well. If that makes any sense. I uh, sometimes candidates have to say, I don't know what I was thinking, you know, back then, or oh, I have to walk that one back, or I don't believe that anymore. Or, I've evolved. And, and all the things that I ran on in 2016, you know, I'm still running on now, whether that's a living wage, whether that's, you know, uh, Medicare for all healthcare is a right, not a privilege, whether that's income inequality, whether that's uh, marijuana legalization, whether that's humane and just uh, immigration policies, whether that's, you know, community policing, you name it, you know, uh, marriage equality. I was the first um, state official in Pennsylvania to solemnize a same-sex wedding. So all of these things that I was proud to stand up and represent in 2016 are, are now, I think, much more where the party is in terms of uh, beliefs and, and, and uh, closer to our platform, I guess. That makes sense. We've had a lot of entrepreneurs on this show in the, in the past, and I think that there's a lot of, I mean, apparent that there's a lot of parallels between a campaign yeah. and an entrepreneurial endeavor. The audacity that it takes, the persistence, the creativity. Given that you have run a few campaigns now, going into this one, what have you learned that you're applying now that you didn't know in past campaigns? Um, I, you know, I, I, again, this will sound self-serving, but it, it's it's not that I've learned anything new. I just think the landscape's so radically different in this race. Um, when I ran in the Senate race, there was a 90-mile-an-hour headwind because there was an alignment for one of the people in our race that I've never seen before in, in, in a in a Senate race, where it was from literally from the White House all the way down to the ward level. It was this candidate. And they sucked all the oxygen out of the room. It made fundraising impossible. It made endorsements impossible. It made all the things that are part of a political campaign all but impossible. And and I think the reason why people responded so well to our win and the amount of, I don't say win, but they, they considered it a win is the amount of votes that we were able to receive being outspent 15 to 1. So it's not so much what I've learned that I'm doing differently. It's just running a campaign now differently because... I don't have this enormous kind of blockage, um, both in terms of where my views are with the rest of the Democratic Party, and also that there isn't a, a, a preferred candidate that has literally every you know advantage and support um, you know being uh, given to them. That makes sense. Reality of any politician is that they both have to stand for things and against things. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the financing of campaigns, uh, what you what you won't stand with or stand against 
uh, becomes pretty important. What are some of the things that you don't see yourself ever budging on being against? Well, uh, budget. What I won't, I'll never be against. Uh, that you are just against. You couldn't. Oh, uh, flip. For... I would never take money from from a fracking corporation. I would never take money from a tobacco corporation. I would never take money from you know just your, your usual suspects. I it uh, you know my ideal campaign donor is 40 bucks online you know buy a t-shirt give me 25 dollars because you just believe in what i have to say and you don't have a lot of money laying around and it's like and that's the way it should be because me that's the most democratic way that campaign should be financed the the unfortunate reality in american politics is much different and you have these enormous amounts of outside money you have effectively no limits and you have people that are incredibly wealthy that can impact and sway an election simply by writing a check. And when the highest court in the land says that speech is the equivalent of money and money is the equivalent of speech, you're going to have these kind of distorted and outside, uh, really existential threats on democracy. And until that changes, you know, we're, we're not, not in a good place in that regard. I think that what unfortunately is easy for people to default into, sometimes particularly related to campaign finance, is cynicism. Oh, like, yeah. There's I, nothing... I do it all the time. <laughs> you know, it. it uh, I always tell people, you know, uh, you know, money and politics, you know, it's it, relax because it's much worse than you think. And and that's something that I learned during my first race where it was just like money. It's, it, it's, it's such a proxy for viability. It's a proxy for, you know, being taken seriously. It's a proxy for you know, so many different things. And, and it's, it forces you into a transactional relationship where it's like, well, how much can I get from this person? How much can I get from this, you know? And, and, and if somebody can give you $2,500 versus $25, you know, how much more are you going to be in line with their views at 2,500 than you are with the person at 25? So it, 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 it's really a system that needs to be reformed, quite frankly. And, and if there's any, you know, kind of lasting legacy or, uh, from Sanders campaign is that he demonstrated you can run a presidential campaign on small donations. He raised more than anybody and he did it without accepting large checks from uh, these outsized uh, sources. So that to me is one of the most important things and changes we need to make in, you know, to kind of heal our, our, our democracy. The powers of the technology of technology and the internet, it's been well documented how they can be used for pernicious purposes in the the present election. But, like you cited with Bernie Sanders, the scaling of attention and also just the accessibility to tools for creating media mm-hmm. around yourself are, are more available and democratized than ever before. How have you thought about implementing that into your campaign to well, raise awareness? We have an enormous uh, social media presence. Uh, I think if you added up everyone else in the lieutenant governor's race and timed their numbers by 10, we'd still have more followers. So social media is invaluable to us in terms of getting the message out. It's invaluable to us to promoting, uh, you know, whether it's ideas or events or, or um, you know, just the campaign in general. So and it's, it's a great tool, and, and uh, I could only imagine trying to run it without it. You know, in fact, we raise much more of our money online than we do, you know, over the phone or uh, other ways. And so it's, it's a great tool. But as you alluded to, is that social media can also be an echo chamber, and you can also have fake uh, news stories, and you can have people that are just trying to create uh, chaos and so all of this discord and and you also say things uh, to people online that you would never say to them if they were sitting across uh, you know the room like we are and you see a lot of yeah, just a lot of 
nastiness, for lack of a better phrase, that is, you know, it's, and it's not saying it's directed at me, but I see people calling each other names. I see people just saying things, like I said, that you would never say to somebody if they were sitting next to you. And, and I think that makes us a more coarse and cruel society to some extent, because the things that are like rewarded on Twitter are snark and, and, uh, and just trying to be, you know, too clever by half. And, and it, it just creates an environment where, you know, everything's got to be ironic or everything has to have some funny gif or something. And, and I, I don't think that that's helpful necessarily. When you look back on your career in politics, is there a moment or a point at which the tools of social media became more than a novelty and you were really illuminated to uh, the power of it and how it could be wielded for your purposes? No, I, I've uh, I've never had a social media account until I ran for higher office. I'm not one of those people that wants to talk about him or myself or say, well, hey, I'm going to, you know, on a vacation, or here's what I had for breakfast this morning, or I happen to love the new Star Wars movie. Like, I, I've never been about posting like that. So the first time I ever had a Facebook or a Twitter account uh, was when I launched my Senate race, you know, and and it's like you can't, I don't know how you can run a modern political campaign without it, quite frankly. Uh, it's it's as invaluable as, as, a, as a phone or, or you know, having a campaign manager. I mean, like, I don't honestly know how you could do it without it. And, and, uh, and if I ever n- cease to become a candidate, I'm not going to sit around and I've got three young kids. My life is not that interesting enough that I would need to document it, let alone share it with, with my followers. So it, it's like, uh, it's, it's incredibly useful and I'm incredibly grateful that, that the people that follow me do, but I, I really limit it to, you know, things that, that I care about from a public policy perspective and, and things of that nature, because, you know, there's plenty of people that want to get you on their YouTube channel or, you know, follow me on Instagram and they're trying to sell you something or, or they get paid if they the more views they get on YouTube. It's like, I, I don't get into any of that stuff. It's, it's strictly just, you know, these are the things that I believe. This is why I'm running. I really could use your support and, and helping share that message. It makes sense. And just to, Maybe push back a little bit. I think that in terms of perhaps what the tastes of the electorate are evolving into is seeing the well-rounded person. The the issues, the platform yeah. is always fundamental, I, but it, seeing the family life and seeing the other components of your life makes that more well-rounded character. I agree. And, and I'm happy to share those things because I do think it's important. You know, I, I think who you are in public should reflect who you are in private and vice versa. And, uh, you know, I'm, and, and I, I think it does, you know, in my, in my social media, being able to interact with individual people that you wouldn't otherwise never get the chance to. That's, that's fantastic. For me, social media is almost entirely upside. I don't get a lot of the negativity and, or the, a lot of the trolls. I mean, it, it, you know, everybody gets their some, but at, at the end of the day, most of it is positive or constructive and, and I'm happy to engage, but I, I I do lament that there is more of a coarseness or cruelty uh, online that doesn't exist to the extent in, in in real life. I think so. That makes sense. In terms of just kind of the day to day of a campaign, most people listening have never actually been a part of one. Um, what does it look like in terms of your responsibilities? I mean, you're still the acting mayor, but what are yeah. some of the activities that you find yourself? Doing? It's 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 everything. It's doing podcasts. It's doing interviews. It's calling people on the phone, asking them to support your campaign. It's 
having coffee with elected officials, which I have to do at four o'clock, asking for their support. It's driving across the state for meetings, you know, at first thing in the morning in Philadelphia. It's, you know, it can be everything all at once. It's going to house parties. I'm, um, I have uh, the Pitt Dems meeting this evening at nine o'clock in uh, the Cathedral of Learning, and I won't see my children today. You know, I didn't see them this morning when I woke up, and they're going to be long asleep by the time I get home. And it, it's like, that's, um, and that's the worst part about campaigning, quite frankly, um, is, is having three young children and wondering if I'm being a, a bad father by choosing to do this uh, in light of, or excuse me, in lieu of, you know, being here to see them when they get home from school and, and picking them up from school or taking them to school or making them breakfast or being more present like I want to be. So it's, it's, there's that tension. So every day is different. Every day is a grind. It's I, I would describe it to a younger person as like five months of finals. You know, it's like it's it's literally like five months of finals week. Uh, and and uh, you have some slower days, but there's always something that you should be doing, need to be doing, and usually are doing um, uh, until the, the the primary. And and unlike say getting a, a college degree or something you, there's always a payoff like if you work hard and, and finish your requirements you get a degree when you're running for election it's like you know you could work just as hard as the next person and if you don't get enough votes it's you know you lose you know so it, it's it's an all or nothing kind of proposition so that's it's very sobering and and uh it um yeah it's 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 not for the faint of heart in that respect in terms of finding a source of fuel for that work, because I mean, one finals week for me was more than yeah. enough. Well, it was uh, for me too <laughs> in school. Like that's like it. Like I hope that metaphor, you know, relates to people because that's the best way I can describe it. It's it's like however long you're in the campaign, it's like finals week, and and sometimes you can be in it for a year. And like the thing is, is like if this goes well, and I'm lucky enough to be chosen for lieutenant governor. This is going to continue until November, you know? Right. And and then when you're in the general, then it's Republicans. And then that's when the arrows really start coming, you know, back and forth. You know, so it's it's a really grueling process. And, and uh, if, if I wasn't a father to three young children, it would be easier if I didn't kind of value those interactions as much as I do. It would be easier. But it's, it's you know, I can just tell you it's it's... Um, it's all consuming, uh, you know, at least statewide. Like if you're running in a congressional district, that's different. But Pennsylvania is an enormously big state. It's too big to, to drive, but too small to fly. So you put tens of thousands of miles on your vehicle and and you get home at two o'clock in the morning sometimes. And then it's, you know, nine o'clock the next morning, you got another meeting or you got to drive someplace else. What do you listen to while you drive? Well, I listen to podcasts. I listen to books I listen to music you know uh, often I'll just think I'll make calls um, you know you try to just make it productive time um, and reflect and, any podcasts in particular um, I mean it, it's just kind of like what what people are recommending I, I never was able to get into like those true crime ones or or anything like that I, I think primarily it's it's mostly just music and audio books I'm starting on the the Grant the the Ron Chernow uh, biography on Grant. Chernow's um, great. And it's yeah, just trying to you know take all of these things and and you know somehow make it useful and pass the time while you're you know driving 400 miles to your next uh, meeting or campaign event. 
Yeah. Well, I know you've got other events to get to today, so I'll aim towards wrapping up here. Uh, if people want to support or just follow along on your journey, where can people connect? Yeah. Uh, uh, at John Fetterman, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Grateful for the support. Grateful uh, for the uh, uh, the follow. Um, and, you know, we're running a true statewide campaign here for lieutenant governor, uh, as opposed to the other candidates are more kind of concentrating on their own little regions and areas that their their bases. And, um, you know, it, the same things that I ran, the same reasons why I ran for mayor and the same reasons why I ran for Senate and the same reasons are the same reasons why I'm running for lieutenant governor. And if, if uh, you can get behind those or uh, support those, then uh, I couldn't be more grateful to, to have your support in the Pennsylvania primary. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely direct people to all those links to check it out. Going slash podcast will be the place to find the show notes for this episode and uh, links to previous episode 134 with Giselle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Giselle is, is another great example of someone who um, has really used this platform uh, and uh, to, to, to make the world a better place. And, and really, that's what it all is about uh, as far as running for this office. Yeah. Well, both of your work, I find deeply inspirational and I'm excited to be sharing it with the audience. So I'd love to just end on the note of giving you the mic a final time to issue a challenge for the audience. I, I, uh, the, the, the challenge is just to be an educated voter, uh, because, and that if that means not voting for me and voting for somebody else, then so be it. But, um, the, the, the turnout percentage for Allegheny County in the primary last year in 2017 was 17%. So more than eight out of 10 people didn't even bother to vote or participate. And, and I'm one of those people that I believe it's a responsibility of every citizen to be minimally informed on the things that are going around you, the people that are helping shape these decisions um, and participating. And, and that requires a level of engagement and responsibility and it requires people to vote and it requires people to uh, take notice to things. And, and that's what I would like to see. And that's my challenge. Um, it's not vote for me or, or, you know, I'm the best. It's, you know, there's, there are a lot of things that are going on that, that you can be a part of and, and participate in. And I would just encourage folks to um, fully participate in, in this own, uh, this, this democracy. And, and if you don't, then you lose the ability uh, or the right to, to, to be, uh, outraged or upset with, with the things that are going on. And just enough people in Pennsylvania, 44,000 of them, um, didn't make what I would call the right decision. And now that radically changed the entire country with, with, uh, Mr. Trump. And, um, so I, I just hope that that lesson moving forward in this country drives home this idea that it, it's like there's a choice is going to be made and it's important that you weigh in on it because you may not like the the, the outcome if you don't. Well, I really appreciate you sharing the time. And I think and I really a... appreciate being on here and I really appreciate I'm sorry for my my <laughs> coughing spell. I've honestly I've never had like something like that happen. So I'm not sure what's going on. But uh, yeah, you, you've been very kind and gracious. Thank you for your interest. Absolutely. We'll be sure to edit out as many of the coughs as I, possible. I appreciate <laughs> that. Thank you. We just went deep with John Fetterman. Hoping out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Please hit that subscribe button and please make sure you get your tickets for the Going Deep Summit, January 27th at the Kelly Strayhorn Theater. If you are listening to this later on down the road, the link is still live. www.goingdeepwithaaron.com slash event has all the information for the next Going Deep Summit, which I announced at the end of the summit this January. 
Good luck to John in the primaries and beyond. And stay tuned to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. A lot of great future episodes coming down the pipe. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.